Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, therapist Farah Zarehi. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist with nearly four years of experience working with individuals, couples, and families. She received her Master of Art in Marriage and Family Therapy from the University of Southern California. Her entire clinical practice is rooted in social justice, being trauma-informed, and providing individualized care. She believes that clinical care cannot be great in quality unless it's individualized and holistic. Today, we talk about her work with patients and what it means to provide care through a social justice lens. Welcome, Farah. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So I'm so glad we're talking today because your therapy group, which is the Hive Therapy Collective, has a special focus on treatment through a social justice lens. And I wonder if we can talk more about that and what that means. Because I think a lot of people out there who are looking for therapy might see that maybe on someone's website or it's listed on someone's profile, but maybe educate us about like what that means and sure. what that looks like. Absolutely. This is going to be like a long backstory, but I'll try really hard to shorten it. When I was in grad school to become a therapist, I really had a focus in mind. I really wanted to become a community mental health clinician. I wanted to make a career out of it. And one of the things that I realized was that everybody, whether you are a clinician who is cash pay, whether you're a clinician in DMH or through some kind of sliding scale organization, we all engage in capitalism in our own ways. And I think that my practice, our group practice was really born of all of the difficulties that I faced as an associate and experiencing how clients not really being served the care that they needed. And so what we really pride ourselves in is paying attention to the individual intersecting needs of every individual client. So when a client calls us, for example, I do all of the intakes, I talk to every client individually, and I sit down with them for 10, 15, 20 minutes and ask them, what sort of things feel important to you? What are you hoping to work on? And even if that means referring them out of our practice, I will do that to find them the right clinician because I feel like the right person who understands the care that they are asking for and needing can take them much farther. So it's really a really individually tailored focused approach, no matter what modality. And I think I, I catch a lot of flack for this because I'm an ERP specialist and I do EMDR. And one of the things that I hear a lot is like, how do you do CBT from a very individual perspective? How do you be flexible with these modalities that are really notebooked? Like step one, step two, here's what you're supposed to do. And, but I, I really believe in that flexibility. And I think that flexibility can take clients much farther than just throwing the book at people basically. So when you talk about like a social justice lens, what is your like two sentence explanation to clients when they call and ask about that? What does that mean in therapy? When we talk about social justice, I think a lot of people think immediately of like race issues, but it's that and so much more. Every individual person has all of these intersecting identities we'll just use me as an example. I pass as a white woman. I'm half Colombian. I'm half Iranian. We have the complexity of the fact that I have OCD. I'm a therapist. I'm a woman. I'm a queer woman. And so I have all of these intersecting identities 
that all need to have a little bit of attention in the work that I'm doing with my very own therapist. So if I went to a therapist who was like, yeah, yeah, I don't actually care that you're a queer woman. Let's just focus on your OCD. That's not really going to work for me because I want to be treated as a whole person. So when I refer to social justice, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about referring to clients, working with clients from their purview of what all of their intersecting identities are and finding clinicians that are skilled to work with those things for them and with them alongside them. And it also kind of incorporates a lot of the ways that we talk about clients when they're there, when they're not there, the ways that we work with them and not working for them, but working with them collaboratively. So it's a really collaborative approach. As you're talking, I'm thinking about a clinician who does practice through the social justice lens. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a clinician who has this flexibility to really at least understand all facets of someone's identity. Yeah. And maybe even taking it just a couple of steps back, because I don't think that there is going to be any clinician. Again, let's just use me as an example. There's not going to be any clinician. I don't think that's going to be like, I know exactly how to work with all of these intersecting identities, but more it's the clinician that's open to learning. Mm. It's the clinician that's open to listening. It's the clinician that's open to saying, I don't know. And understanding how to go out and educate themselves, not necessarily on the client's emotional effort, but in finding resources out in their own therapist community, but that has the wherewithal to do that. I think that therapy was born of a pretty rigid idea of who was in the in-group and who was in the out-group. So training therapists to be able to say, I actually am not well-versed in this. And I want to be upfront with you about that, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to go out into my own therapy community and get the education that I need to be the best therapist for you. Well, you're talking about education. So in training (laughs) programs now, how much focus, how much time and energy is spent on this specific focus? That's a great question. Honestly, I think it depends, which is a really annoying answer. If you look at my graduate program, for example, the entire focus of our program was to be able to provide equitable, social justice-focused care. So I think that maybe perhaps that's why I'm so biased in this direction, because all of my education, it was at USC in their MFT program, every class I took was under this mission umbrella of being able to learn it from this mission-driven goal, which is to be able to provide that equitable, social justice-informed care But what we're seeing is that some other programs don't offer that. And so when you go out into the world and you interact with a bunch of different clinicians, I really can see that, of course, any clinician can work to do this thing for themselves and their clients to work to be flexible, to be open, to be forever learning, right? And then, of course, there are clinicians out there that are a little bit more kind of rigid and have beliefs around this is how it should be done and more prescriptive, if you will. It's interesting, like now there's such a variation in different training programs. If an individual is wanting a therapist who does practice through this lens, like how do they find that person and what questions do they ask? I think that's a good question too. I think you can just directly ask. I would say something like, for my care to feel good for me, I would want a clinician who's well-informed in social justice and social justice issues Do you know how to work from that perspective? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of tell if a clinician is like, yeah, of course, or no, but I'm happy to learn (laughs) or or what's that? Or I don't know what that is. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's, that's definitely something that you can kind of get the sense for. 
I have clients that call me all the time that are not necessarily a good fit for our practice and I end up referring them out. But I always mention to clients, you can interview your therapist. You can call five or six or 10 and say, I want to do a consultation with you. Many of us do free consultations and are really looking to provide the right care for that individual client. So feel free to interview us. I think that that's, at least from my training and my perspective, that's something that I think is incredibly important that clients also feel able to advocate for themselves. And any clinician that has issue with that may not be the clinician that has that social justice perspective. But to go back to that point about like, it's not necessarily fair for older clinicians. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. I would say from any perspective, whether you're a psychiatrist or a therapist, my hope is that in a field that is so ever-changing, like psychology or mental health, my hope is that someone would be open to learning, right? I don't ever want to come off as ageist because I think that it can often feel like, oh, well, the younger generations care more about this stuff. But I really think that to be a good clinician, to be able to provide that ethical care, you got to be open to being with the times. And the times now are telling us that more and more being able to work with a diverse community is absolutely important. I mean, we live in the United States and Los Angeles alone, there's incredible amounts of diversity, even in individual groups and individual culture groups that we see here. So I think it's totally a reasonable ask of anyone. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That does make a lot of sense. I want to change the topic a little bit. Because I was also thinking as we were talking, you know, this idea of, and I've talked about this in other podcasts that I've done, but the importance of having a clinician that has a similar identity as you. Mm, Yes. Oh my God. Yes. In fact, I think I mentioned to you that I'm an ERP specialist. ERP stands for exposure response prevention. And I don't love this term, but it's like the gold standard for treating clients that have OCD and related disorders. So like panic disorder, agoraphobia, hoarding disorder, even for some clients, prolonged exposure for PTSD and things like that can be useful. But the reason I came to be an ERP specialist was because I was diagnosed with OCD myself and ERP was so life-changing for me. ERP gave me my life back as a person who was already a clinician by the time I got my diagnosis. So when I realized how quickly it made a huge difference for me, I was like, oh, I kind of want to do this too. And I will over and over and over hear from my clients. I left working with a different clinician who was also an ERP specialist to work with you because what I saw in your bio was that you have OCD. I don't have to explain it to you. I'm not worried that you're going to hear me talking about harm thoughts or thoughts around racism and judge me because you understand what's going on for me. I don't have to explain it. And I I have to say that that has become quite an important cornerstone in my own practice. So yeah, I think having someone who doesn't kind of look at you like this because they understand what you're experiencing is quite a gift. Yeah. But I also assume that there's not a lot of clinicians out there that identify as having or disclose that, right? And so also this idea that I totally understand it's it's so helpful, right? You feel understood in a yeah. way that you would never get totally. if you, you didn't know about your clinician's background. But that doesn't always happen though either, no, right? It doesn't that's always not happen. always possible. No. So when people say, you know, 
would it be better to have a clinician that is the same ethnic background as I am, the Mm -hmm. same sexual orientation? I guess the answer is like, yes and no. You could also have a clinician who doesn't identify in that way, or you don't know how they identify and you have a fruitful therapeutic experience. For sure. One of the things that I learned in grad school that kind of blew my mind, this was a long time ago at this point, but the idea of process that we often go into therapy thinking, okay, something is happening, but I don't know what that is, but I'm feeling better. Right. But really this idea of process is the process that it takes to go through therapy and build this relationship with this other person, whether that be a person with the same identity or not as you. Right. And so I think that what you're pointing to is it can be helpful in some moments. I think that in some moments it can actually cause some friction because that person could assume that they understand what you're going through as opposed to ask. And so there are obviously some complicating factors and two sides to every coin, but some ways that having a therapist who might not share the same identity as you, some ways that it could be helpful is that it could be a real restorative experience. It could be that you're sitting with someone who, let's talk about OCD again, because it's just easy for me to talk about myself in that way. Let's say that a thousand different people, when I talked about whatever thoughts I was having, kind of looked at me and were like really concerned about the thoughts. And then I was with a clinician who didn't have OCD and they said to me, oh, I'm curious about it. Tell me, right? And instead of experiencing this person who doesn't have OCD as being someone who is immediately suspicious of me, they're open and willing to hear and willing to learn and willing to experience how I feel about it. That can be a really restorative experience too. So there are two sides to every coin. There's two sides to having a clinician that has the same identity as you. And two sides to having a clinician who maybe doesn't share all of your identities or any of your identities. I think that this is where that social justice piece comes in, that if you find someone who doesn't necessarily share your background, your identity of whatever variety, and they're open to having that fullness in curiosity when they approach you and when they talk to you about what your experience is, it can be kind of like a softening of how you experience the world around you, which can be so restorative for your feelings around relationships. Yeah. That's so well put. I love it. <laughs> I'm so I glad think you feel it that just way. kind of brings us back what you had just said this bottom line is do you feel heard by exactly. your clinician? Do you feel judged? Do you feel like are they modeling the experience that you want to have with other people in terms of like curiosity, acceptance, wanting a deeper understanding of your experience? Exactly. And even taking that acceptance piece a step further and saying maybe less so with like a clinical diagnosis like depression or OCD, but to say maybe I'm sitting with a clinician who isn't a queer person themselves and they are celebratory of me and my queer identity. Like taking it a step further and being like, I don't just accept you. I celebrate you that you, you know, have navigated this world in this way that you see the world and experience the world differently. I think that, I mean, yeah, that's so cool. And to just bring it down to what therapy really is, it's being able to be witnessed, to be celebrated for who you are and to be walked with side by side down this path that you choose. So if you say, oh, you know, I I know I came here for anxiety, but I really want to work on these issues. Having a clinician who's willing to see that that's what you're wanting to work on and say, okay, let's go, let's walk. Let's be curious about this experience together and have this really wonderful, warm, inviting relationship where maybe there are ruptures along the way. And then that clinician works really hard to repair in a way that feels safe and good for you too. A lot of people go into therapy thinking they need to change. 
something about themselves. And so this, this idea of like the process and journey of therapy is to understand like what is important to change and what's not like, what's important to actually accept. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And I think the idea is, is at least from a social justice perspective, to come to the client and say, what's working for you and what's not working for you. If a client comes and says, I have OCD and I'm experiencing all of these symptoms. I have these themes that I'm really struggling with, but the ones that are really bothering me are here. Or actually I have a handle on my OCD. It doesn't bother me that much. What I'm really struggling with is this person at school, being able to listen to them and say, okay, I see that this is how you're experiencing yourself. And I'm not going to make value judgments based on what I think you should change. Instead, I'm going to pay attention to what you think is important for your life. And if you change your mind at any point, I'm going to be flexible and ready to walk down that path with you too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you're right though. Lots of clients come to therapy when they're like, I think something is wrong with me. And I like to think that, yeah, I mean, when there's some kind of impairment or distress that's happening in somebody's life, of course, they want to feel better. But I love to normalize for clients that many people have, I have OCD, many people have diagnoses that they feel cause some level of impairment. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with who they are. It just means that their brain is operating in, in a way that's a little different than maybe the what is considered the average in the DSM, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, I love this conversation. It's such a great conversation. There's so many directions we can go in. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about though, in terms of just a thought I had is this idea of like, and this is not necessarily part of therapy through a social justice lens. It's just Mm -hmm. about therapy, but a lot of people go into therapy thinking they want to accomplish one thing, but over time they realize it's actually something totally different, right? And so it's just not always, I mean, it's so important to set goals, but as you grow and learn and develop insight and understanding, it just becomes deeper in terms of understanding what your goals really are. Yeah. And I like to think like, kind of like Shrek, people are like onions. We have many layers to us. And once we start to peel back the layers, we might find differences that we are like, oh, I didn't even realize that I felt this way or that this feeling or this kind of sense of relationships came from this historical thing that I've struggled with. So yeah, you're totally right. And I do think the basic tenets of being an ethical practitioner or a practitioner that like a therapist that comes to a client and and is doing hopefully quality work is meeting them where they are. I experience a lot of frustration when I hear stories of clients saying, well, my therapist was really dead set on me doing this thing. And I, I asked them, well, what was it that you wanted? What do you want now? Right. And many clients kind of come in because there is this inherent power imbalance in the relationships that we have with our clients. And we have to actively work to flatten those power imbalances. I think clients can come in and go, well, what do you think? And my answer is always, I think it's going to be something that we come to together. Of course, there are boundaries that as any kind of mental health practitioner, we have to be wary and kind of thoughtful of. So like if someone is actively suicidal, for example, is actively experiencing thoughts of hurting themselves, that's something that we are obligated, not just by our license, but by this idea to not harm our clients to pay attention to. And that might be something that's a priority for us to work on. Even if the client's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. You know, that may be something that we kind of have to focus on as a result of the work that we do. 
But in other circumstances where it's like a client coming in and saying, you know, I'm experiencing all these symptoms, maybe it's depression or anxiety or whatever, but I really want to focus on this other thing, meeting the client where they are and saying, I see that this doesn't feel like it's an issue for you in this moment, or it doesn't feel like it's causing you that much distress. And I'm totally going to meet you where you are and hear what you say when you say that you want to work on this other thing first. And who knows? The client may go, oh, actually, this is being caused by that, or this is something that's happening as a result of that. And then we may end up kind of taking a little detour and ending up back over there anyway. But only time tells. I really loved having this conversation because I think it's so great for the listener who's interested to just hear about therapy, the therapeutic experience. Therapy is so complex. It's just great that we at least are today talking about therapy through the social justice lens because I know it's out there. Like people see it and they I think it's just important for people to just understand what that is and it it's really complex. It's not one thing. No. Right? It's so, um, it's pretty nebulous too. It kind of is, but it's <laughs> important. So, I will make sure if the listeners interested on the episode description, it has your information so they can learn cool. a little bit more about you. Awesome. Um, I really appreciate you being on today and sharing your expertise with us. Any last words before we say goodbye? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and being open to having this newer conversation in the therapeutic world. But if I could give anyone some words about therapy I would say to be open to the idea of it, that it doesn't look one way. You know, it could take you time to find the right person that feels like a good fit. You can interview them. You can interview many people and kind of settle in with the person who makes financial sense and kind of makes emotional sense. And I really hope that everyone comes to explore themselves in a therapeutic sense at some point, even if you're not struggling, because it can be a great way to just learn who you are and get to know yourself a little better. That's a great place to end. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.